Good and gracious God, as you give testimony of answered prayers, I pray that you would answer this one. That as we hear your word this morning, that it would take root in our hearts and it would change us and transform us evermore into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. That we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers because of the impact that it has made upon our souls. And so, Lord, this morning I ask that you would move me out of the way, that I would decrease so that you may increase evermore in our presence, and that we would see your glory on display for who you are. Do this, Lord, in the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we come together this morning, we're actually coming to the conclusion of our series, Are You New Here? A series that we've been walking down as an exploration of the essential tenets that we believe as eco-Presbyterians, but we affirm as First Pres and how those essential tenets impact us as everyday followers of Jesus Christ. And this morning is no different. As we come to the conclusion of this series, we find this one question that probably, when we hear it, it might sit a little uncomfortable on our hearts. Obedience? I have to obey something? Am I being called to a life of obedience? And what does that mean? And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to John chapter 15. And this is probably not an unfamiliar uh, passage to you if you have grown up in the church. And if you haven't grown up in the church, it might be a completely unfamiliar passage to you. But the passage this morning is such a wonderful illustration of what it looks like and what it means and how it impacts us in our lives to obey the Lord. And so if you'll hear with me this morning, we're just going to read first verses 1 through 11 and then we'll conclude later in the message with 12 through 17, but hear these words from Jesus. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them 
and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask where, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. You know, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It's the last I am statement of Jesus, it's these, which are these statements throughout the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am, and then follows it with some sort of metaphor. But whenever Jesus says, I am, his intention is to say, I'm invoking the name of God given to Moses at the burning bush when God said to Moses, I am who I am. And here, Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Jesus, by saying that he's the true vine, by adding that adjective, is implying that there are false vines, and that we as the followers of God need to be aware that there are those things in our lives, which we might refer to as idols, that want us to put our attention into those things rather into the true vine of Jesus Christ. That is Jesus Christ. And we learn in this passage that he says that he is the vine and we are the branches. And so the vine is the main source that's got its roots in the soil and then the branches come off of the vine. And so they are connected to each other. What I love about this story is that we see the fullness of the Trinity. We see the true vine in Christ, and we see the Father as the vine grower, is the one who attends to the branches upon the vine. And you might be asking, well, where is the Holy Spirit? Ah, the Spirit is in the fruit. As we read in our uh, scriptures from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and following, we hear, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, those who are his branches, who are attending to the vine, are crucified in the flesh, its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, then we also walk in step with the Spirit. Do you hear how the Lord works in our lives in Father, Son, and Spirit? We as the branches have this remarkable opportunity to attend to Jesus. And as we abide in Jesus, the Father 
works on us through pruning and cleaning off the branch so that we might bear better fruit, fruit that comes only from the Spirit of God in us, which manifests itself in love and joy and peace and patience and so on and so forth. And so as we start thinking about this question of obedience, because I promise we're going to get there, we have to also think about what does it look like when we start to obey. In order to understand obedience, we also have to understand what obedience looks like. And for the life of the Christian, as described in John chapter 15, it looks like one who bears a lot of good fruit. Many of you know that I've started eating differently. I've kind of changed my, my diet a little bit. And many of you have heard that I pretty much have two food groups, meat and fruit. And that's about pretty much the extent of the food that I eat. But as somebody that has started to eat more and more fruit and has made fruit like my primary snack, my primary side, my primary dessert, since I've tried to cut all sugar out, like, I want good fruit. And let me tell you, along this journey over the last three months, I've had a lot of really bad fruit. And it's not a fun experience to get something that looks really good on the outside, but when you cut it open, it's got rotten flesh. Or it hasn't become ripe enough yet, and it's still either not tender, or it's not sweet. And part of what it looks like to be a Christian is oftentimes we end up putting on these outside appearances where we look really good to eat. We look like good fruit. But if somebody cut us open or spent eating even a minuscule amount of time with us, they might experience that we aren't so loving. Nor are we kind or patient or gentle or peaceful or joyful. Those are the kind of people that we don't want to spend time with too long. But we put on these outward appearances that make us look like really good fruit. But then, as soon as they cut us open, might be we're rotten to the core. The good news is, for those of us that are fruit and it's just because we're underripe, the Lord has a good work that he's still doing in you. Just keep abiding and watch how you can grow and ripen and sweeten in the life that Christ has to give and offer by abiding in him. But for those where you were cut open and you've rotted, Lord, please, work a miracle in them. Because the word is clear, and this is a hard message. I'm not, I'm not coming up and trying to give the most easy message this morning, but, but it is a true message. That there are two kinds of people. There are two kinds of branches. Those that abide well in the vine, and those that want nothing to do with the vine. 
And the ones that don't want a lot to do with the vine, that don't want to abide in Jesus, end up bearing bad fruit. And, and the word is clear that those branches are cut off, left to dry, so that they might be tossed into the fire. My heart for us as a church is that's none of us. And the, and the reality and the truth is that it doesn't have to be any of us. Because there's a solution to not become the branch that gets cut off. There's a solution to becoming a branch that bears fruit, and a branch that bears good fruit, and a branch that bears lots of good fruit. And Jesus says, it's for the one who abides in me. And I in you, this is verse 4, and it says, As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And so what does it mean to abide in Jesus? What are we getting at? What's the metaphor that Christ is trying to explain to us about this this desire to abide? Well, he says in verse 7, this is what it means to abide in me. That my words, my commands abide in you. And so if you're going to abide in me, then it means that the words that I deliver to you must also abide in you. And this is the the image of obedience. In fact, if you read through the Gospel of John, there are about eight occurrences where it becomes very clear that even for Jesus, his entire work is obedience. The entire work of Christ is to obey the Father. John 4, 34 John 5, 19, 6, 38, 8, 29, 10, 17, 12, 27, 14, 31. In all of these, I'll read 14, 31. It says, but this is how you might know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Jesus made his ministry about obedience to the will of the Father. If Jesus had to make his life about obedience, should we not also take his example? Lead by exactly who he was on earth incarnate? Should we not also live our lives according to the same manner in obedience to God? And so Jesus says, if you abide in me, My words abide in you. My commands have taken root. That when you read this scripture, it doesn't just become something that you read and pass by, but it's something that roots itself within you, starts to grow in you and produce good fruit. Fruit that is love joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, (laughs) self-control. 
That's what it looks like. In fact, I love, these are the words of D.A. Carson. He says, obedience is the condition of continuously remaining in Jesus's love. And our love for Jesus is the wellspring of our obedience. Did y'all catch that? Let me read that passage in the scripture. It says in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Obedience is the condition of continuously remaining in Jesus' love. But also, our love for Jesus is the wellspring of our obedience to him. If you don't have a love for Christ, you have no reason to obey Christ. But if you have a love for Christ, you will want nothing other than to obey Christ. It is our love for him that begets our obedience to him. I actually love how Matt Carter says, he says, obedience doesn't earn love. And I think a lot of times that's what we think about in the church, and that's how we end up producing fruit that looks really good to eat but's rotten on the inside, is that we think obedience is done in order to earn the love of God. When in fact, Matt Carter goes on to say, but actually obedience is the evidence of our love. And so when we begin to obey the law of the Lord more and more, we begin to heed the commands of Jesus more and more, we begin to produce more fruit of the Spirit, it is actually the evidence of our love for God to the world. That is so encouraging to me. In fact, as we go on, verses 12 through 17 say this, this is my commandment. So this is, this, is, this is obedience, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. As we start to break down every law written throughout all of Scripture, it is really boiled down to two things. Matthew uh, chapter 22 informs us of what those two things are. When Jesus is questioned about what the greatest commandment is, Jesus repeats the Shema found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. He says, 
This is the greatest commandment, that you love the Lord your God with all of your soul, with all of your heart, and with all of your might. And then Jesus goes on to say, and the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. You know, many times we hear that and we think, well, what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourself? What would that look like? Well, Exodus chapter 20 is the giving of the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. And as you start reading through the Ten Commandments, you see that they're really kind of broken up into two categories. The ones that are about you and your relationship with God, and the last part is about you and your relationship with people. But what does it look like to make the transition from God to people? And actually, this is pretty fascinating and amazing. It also happens to be the one commandment that we ignore the most as Christians. Uh, We love to be nine commandment Christians instead of ten commandment Christians. But it is this one. Starting in verse 8 in chapter 20 of Exodus, the fourth commandment. This is how you love yourself and end up loving your neighbor. You remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall not do any work. You shall not do any work. How many of us take a day where we do no work? Where we're not stressed with the things that need to get done around the house or stressed about doing the yard work or doing the laundry or making sure everything's in order because company is coming to town. How many of us take days to just rest? Because Jesus said the Sabbath was not created for God. The Sabbath was created for man. Why? Because God knows that we would run ourselves ragged if we could. But he offers us a day of rest, of grace, of mercy, that we might experience love for ourselves. And here's where it goes to neighbor, because not only are you called to not work, it then says you or your son or your daughter your male or your female slave, your cattle, your sojourner who is with you. So Sabbath is not just about you. It's about all the people in your life that you are giving permission to also rest. And so when, God, when Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying this is what it looks like to obey, that you love You love God, you love yourself, and you love those around you. And you love sacrificially. He said there is no greater love than this, than one who would give up his life for his friends. 
What would it look like if our church was full of people that loved Jesus so much, that they were so filled with the Word of God, that they lived this life of obedience that poured out as fruit of the Spirit of love to not just themselves, but to their neighbors around them. We didn't carry bitterness and anger in our hearts. We weren't easily frustrated or annoyed because of the fact that they put their trash can out one day earlier than they were supposed to. What would it look like if the church and its people were completely obedient because love was the first thing that informed our hearts? A love of God that surpasses our ability to no longer be selfish, but completely selfless for God. What I love about being a branch is that it's not my responsibility to bear that kind of fruit. I don't have to, as the branch, will myself to become more loving, to will myself to become more patient, to will myself to be more kind. My responsibility as the branch is to abide in Jesus. And I can promise you this, the more you abide in him, the fruit will come. And that's why I said at the beginning, there are two kinds of fruit. There's the one that looks good, but when you cut it open, it's rotten on the inside. And then there's the other. When you cut it open, it's just not ripe yet. It's just not sweet yet. For all of us, my prayer is that we are constantly the fruit that is becoming sweeter and more ripened with time because we are abiding well in our Savior Jesus. And because we love him, we desire to obey him in all of his commands. So that's what it means when, when we talk about obedience. What I'm really, really talking about is how well are you loving the Lord your God? Because when you love him well, you want nothing more than to obey him well and to bear his fruit. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, you have called us to obedience. You desire obedient hearts. And Lord, we know that's hard. We know it's not easy. But if we love you, we will long to obey you. And as we love you more, we will obey you more, and as we obey you more, we love you more. There's this one final line that Jesus gives in his testimony in John 15, and he says this about obedience. He says, I speak these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. God, obedience breeds joy and fullness, and freedom. 
It is slavery to sin that breeds death and unhappiness. So let us experience the joy of obedience because of a great depth of love for you, our Savior God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.